updates to the ASRA guidelines for interventional pain procedures by Alva Tyson Wickbolt Jr., MD, pain medicine specialist, and Magid Gurgis, MD, chief system lead, interventional pain management, associate professor, University of Queensland Oxner Clinical School of Medicine, Oxner Health System, New Orleans, Louisiana. Specialty specific guidelines on the management of anticoagulation in patients undergoing peripheral and neuraxial pain procedures are needed, according to attendees of ASRA's 11th annual chronic pain meeting. In 2015, that issue came to fruition with the publication of consensus guidelines clarifying pre-procedural and post-procedural management of nine classes of medications. Those guidelines also codified the practices of most interventionalists regarding evaluation and assessment of periprocedural bleeding risk via the Procedural Anticoagulation Management Checklist. A framework for risk assessment and stratification was also created on the basis of procedural risks, relevant anatomy, and potential for severe neurological injury. Although the framework for evaluating periprocedural risk remained essentially unchanged, in April 2018, notable updates were released in several areas, including risk reclassification of some pain procedures, new recommendations for newer medications, recommendations for dietary supplements, and adjusted recommendations for heparin and fondaparinux. The update includes additional evidence supporting diligence in the management of novel oral anticoagulants, NOACs, before and after neuraxial interventions, recommendations for considering coagulation studies in patients with renal or hepatic disease, and recommendations for routine use of physical examination findings for signs or symptoms of coagulopathy. As expected, the committee included dorsal root ganglion stimulation and percutaneous decompression laminectomy as new entrants to the high-risk procedure category. The categorization aligns ASRA guidelines with those published by the International Neuromodulation Society. Thoracolumbar facet procedures were transitioned to the low-risk category reflective of data released in 2017. Other changes include reducing peripheral nerve stimulation, PNS. Peripheral nerve stimulation implantation and device pocket revision to the low-risk category as well. The changes are worth noting because nearly all summary recommendations in the publication require assessing procedural risk to establish appropriate medication management. Authors included new recommendations and considerations for spinal cord stimulation, SCS therapy, which are aligned with those from the International Neuromodulation Society. Adverse platelet physiology following discontinuation of aspirin, ASA, coupled with the rare need for extended spinal cord stimulation trials, led authors to advocate for shorter spinal cord stimulation trials in patients using aspirin for secondary prevention. Similar to recommendations for other intermediate and high-risk procedures, the committee recommends stopping clopidogrel seven days prior to spinal cord stimulation procedures with rare consideration of a five-day window coupled with platelet function testing to confirm recovery of function. Noteworthy changes were made to recommendations surrounding intravenous IV heparin 
subcutaneous heparin, and fondaparinix. The previous recommendation for a minimum window of four hours between cessation of IV heparin and performance of any interventional procedure was increased to six hours. Conversely, the waiting period following subcutaneous heparin was decreased from 8 to 10 hours to a current recommendation of 6 hours. Authors noted that performance of elective interventional procedures in patients receiving the aforementioned medications should be rare. Although the recommendations for holding and restarting novel oral anticoagulants remain unchanged, a new entrant into the category, adoxaban, was included. In general, recommendations for that class of medication include stopping it three days prior to a procedure, which represents a five-half-life interval, a recurring theme across several drug classes. Three cases of serious adverse bleeding in patients taking novel oral anticoagulants were reported, one of which was associated with removal of an epidural catheter. As a complement to the previous recommendations on supplements, new recommendations discussed vitamin E, fish oil, and pentosan polysulfate, a medication used in the treatment of interstitial cystitis. Interventionalists must remain aware of potentiating antiplatelet effects in patients taking supplements and direct antiplatelet agents simultaneously. As previously noted, Considerable changes have been made to recommendations surrounding the management of antiplatelet and anticoagulant medications in patients receiving interventional spine and pain procedures. Regardless, the document's general themes remain unchanged. Identify procedural risk, maintain an accurate list of all medications with direct or indirect anticoagulating effects for each patient, and stratify risk in consultation with other treating physicians to produce reliably safe outcomes for our patients. See Table 1 for a summary from the publication.